Welcome to Everyday Church. It's, uh, it's good to see you guys. So um, we are uh, starting a series, teaching series today called Start by Stopping, which is a very strange title for a series, right? Start by what? Start by Stopping? Um, so we, uh, we planned this series and we picked the name for the series long before the holidays, and I had no idea when we, uh, we were planning this thing that I would actually desperately need to start the year by stopping. Um, so just a little bit of um, uh, like a, a, an overview of the last couple of weeks for me and Wendy and our girls. We, uh, the two weeks over the holidays were pretty insane. We, um, we drove, I was doing the math, we drove about 3,000 miles in two weeks, which is, you know, that's a lot of miles. That's more than a lot of you have ever driven in your life, like driven in your life. Um, it's not, you know, the normal New, New York City um, weekend or a couple of week of holiday. So we drove about th- uh, 3,000 miles. We were in the car for 50 hours, maybe more. I was trying to estimate it. So in two weeks' time, in, in the car for about 50 hours, we visited family. We passed through New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, visited family in Indiana and Ohio and Kentucky and Maryland. We went to a wedding uh, of a close friend in Ohio, and then a week later went back to Ohio from here to um, a funeral of Wendy's 102-year-old grandmother, which was insane and amazing and whatever, but it was, you know, it's a funeral, so... But, you know, we're just kind of all over the place, racing. It felt like we were kind of running all over everywhere. And uh, during that time, we ate way too much fast food. Um, We junk food, candy, snacks, things to, like, keep you awake in those 50 hours of driving. The amount of caffeine consumed during that period of time is kind uh, kind of ridiculous. And it felt an awful lot like we were, like, racing into 2020. And I think some of you can relate to the holiday. I was talking to somebody this morning that feels like the holidays, you come back from the holidays and you need a rest after the craziness of all of um, the holidays. So I get back and uh, somewhere in the past week or so, I got this email. I think I have a screenshot of the email. No, there's a, just a picture of a dude running. There it is. All right. So this is a screenshot from my phone of this email that I got, and I just want to share this email with you a little bit. Um, so this, this came, you know, at the end, at the tail end of the insanity of those couple of weeks. Make 2020 the healthiest year ever. 10-day wellness reboot. Would you like more balance, more fitness, more focus, more happiness in 2020? So here are some of the phrases and one-liners in this thing. Accomplish the toughest tasks actionable tips, goals, lifestyle changes, long-term results, health hacks for busy people, the three best practices that you need every morning, improve, ease, fight, de-stress, all of this stuff was in um, the email. And then to quote, and that's not all, if that wasn't enough, that's not all. We'll also provide you tips to help with anxiety, insomnia, injuries, and other challenges. This was like this healthy, hey, you know, you need to be healthy, this email that rolled into my inbox. And I opened it, and I saw the dude, like, you know, whatever, racing up the stairs. And in my mind, this is what I heard. Don't sit still now. It's 2020. I know you feel tired. I know you're worn out. But don't slow down. In fact, get busier. Be smarter. And you'll forget all about being tired. And life will be so much better. More, more, more. 
and exhausted just like thinking about and reading and looking at this email that I received. So little did I know uh, when we were getting this series ready that I would need somebody actually to say, hey, Larry, how about you start by stopping? How about you start 2020 by just stopping? So Pete Scazzaro is the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, it's a book and a, a, a class and different things that we actually use regularly here at, the, at Everyday Church. In fact, starting in a couple of weeks, so this, um, we're going to be starting the next round of Emotionally Healthy Relationships courses. So it's um, seven weeks or so. It's going to start the last Sunday of this month. So just I'll talk about that more later, but I just want to plant that in your mind uh, as, uh, as a resource. So Pete Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality, this is the way he puts it. Most people are not intentional, but rather functional, sort of like cars on autopilot. Our crammed schedules, endless to-do lists, demanding jobs and families, constant noise, information bombardment, and anxieties keep us speeding up, not slowing down. So I was uh, racing over the holidays, and really I look back on t- uh, 2019, and much of the year, very often through the course of 2019, I was on the move, like things happening, all this stuff that was going on, uh, very true kind of this sort of race through the course of the year. But the message that I'm hearing now as I start a new year is not slow down, but speed up, do more, be more efficient, be smarter so that you can get more stuff done. Uh, Eugene Peterson is often a source of, uh, of really great wisdom. In his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, this is what he writes. Uh, we are in a hurry. We are addicted to shortcuts. We love fast cars and fast food. One of the most appreciated features of technology is how fast we can get things and how fast we can get things done. But human life is endlessly complex intricate, mysterious. There are no shortcuts to becoming the persons we are created to be. Nearly everything around us is encouraging us to move faster, to act smarter, to get so that we can get more done. You can accomplish more if you just do this or do that. If you get this or you have that, you can be more successful. Don't slow down, don't let up, don't fall behind, and certainly don't miss out. I heard someone say recently, we desperately need more churches encouraging us, giving us permission, really, to slow down. Churches that resist, that stand against the culture of more and faster and bigger, this press that we have even as we enter into a new year. And so this year, we are together encouraging one another to start by stopping. In Psalm 46, the poet whispers the voice of God and says, be still and know that I am God. Be still, and in that stillness, in that place of stillness, know God and know that he's with you. Know that he thinks very highly of you in that still place to realize that, in fact, God is waiting for us to slow down and be still and listen so that his voice can break through the activity and the press of uh, all that is around us, that he's hoping that we will start everything that we do, in fact, by stopping and being present with him. In Isaiah uh, chapter 40, the prophet is encouraging the people of Israel uh, who are worn and exhausted and in a very difficult place. And he tells them to wait. He says, wait on the Lord. And in fact, those that wait on the Lord, those that are still, those that are quiet, 
those that are looking to God for hope and trust and rest, they put their hope and trust in God that they receive something, in fact, from God that the world can't really give, a kind of strength, a kind of peace in the midst of the activity and the chaos that really um, only comes from God. And so we are encouraged. I like the word encouraged. It means to give courage. We are encouraged. We encourage one another. We give each other the courage to stop, the courage to be still, the courage to slow down. And instead of starting this year setting lots of lofty goals for our careers and our families and our bodies, that instead we are encouraged to start the year by stopping. And so over the next um, few weeks, the next three weeks, we're going to look at a few different um, very ancient spiritual practices that uh, we see Jesus doing these, we see God encouraging his people to do these um, spiritual practices really throughout history. And um, the unique thing is that these aren't uh, spiritual practices about doing. So sometimes when we think about spiritual things, they th we kind of make a list of all the things we need to do. These aren't spiritual practices of doing. In fact, these, the one we're going to look at, the spiritual practices we're looking at, are spiritual practices of stopping. They're specifically designed and oriented around giving us a way uh, of equipping us to stop. And that's really important for us to catch that, especially as we move into these next three weeks. We're not starting the year with spiritual practices of doing. We're starting the year with spiritual practices of stopping. And it's, we want to hold that idea as we, um, we dig into the different things we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. Now, along the way, you might actually feel like you're being encouraged to do stuff. So you're going to hear us talk about, um, about fasting, about silence and stillness, about Sabbath, and it's going to feel like, oh, they're telling me to fast. They're telling me, encouraging me to move into spaces of silence and stillness, to, to start practicing Sabbath. That that sounds a little bit like we're encouraging you to do stuff. But each of these practices, very ancient, very rich in their tradition, are not about doing, they're about giving things up, about stepping away from certain things for certain periods of time, to stop consuming for a period of time, to step away from noise and distraction, to step away from activity. Quite literally, each of these is about stopping something. And if you're human, which I think all of us are here, I don't know all of you, some of you guys I haven't met yet, but I'm assuming we're all human, and uh, we really need all the help that we can get. We need the, all the encouragement that uh, we can get to stop, because there's often something inside of us that rises up and rebels. Um, in fact, we're going to do an activity later on to make a list of things we want to stop, and I was trying to do it while I was on the road, somewhere in the midst of those 50 hours in the car, trying to stay awake, driving, um, in the, I think it was late one night in the dark, and I'm like, okay, I'm, what is, let me practice this, like making a list or thinking about things I want to stop in 2020. And every time something would come to my mind, I would think about a thing, and then immediately something in myself would rise up and be like, no, you can't stop doing that. What are people going to think? Or that's going to hurt this person. Or that's going to... And I have all these lists of things, and I started like fighting against myself. And I realized making a list of stopping is a little challenging, so we're going to approach it from another angle. We're going to get to a place of a list of stopping, the things we want to stop, but we're also going to talk about the things that we don't want to stop, the things that we love, the things that are important. And oftentimes, the things we want to stop we choose to stop because they're interfering with the things that we don't want to stop. These values of family and friendship and rest and health and, and love and encouragement and the kind of people we want to be in the world, 
we get disrupted by things, and we need to take some time to think about those things that are disrupting and step away from those things. And in the midst of all of that process, there's all of these external voices, all of these things around us, the uh, pressures and expectations of the world around us that are constantly hitting us. These voices and these messages uh, people watching, people measuring us and how much we get done and how we live our lives. And then over time, we internalize those voices and then they start speaking inside of us, whispering things about what, why we shouldn't stop, why we can't slow down, um, what are we going to do to meet the expectations of the world and our own expectations of ourselves. So Parker, uh, Parker Palmer is someone over the years that I have uh, learned to look to really when processing questions of self, of identity, of this idea of wholeness, of what it looks like to be a healthy, whole version of myself. What does it look like for me to be a really healthy, whole version of Larry? Uh, and uh, Parker Palmer is somebody I look to because of his wisdom in this area. So ultimately, this teaching series, this idea of stopping, there's a part of it that's about stopping to be with God, but there's also a very important part of this that's stopping to be present in ourselves to be aware, to give ourselves space to reflect and begin to understand who we are and who we were meant to be, what God was up to when he brought me uniquely into this world and you uniquely into this world. That, uh, in fact, through the course of this, this time, of these moments of stopping and setting, a time, setting aside time, that we begin to discover ourselves, maybe even learn some things about ourselves for the first time are things that we've lost through the course uh, of our lives. So let me read some of what Parker Palmer writes. Uh, in one of his, a mixture of different books and things, this is kind of a conglomerate of some stuff that he's written. Palmer says, we arrive in this world with birthright gifts. So this idea that I show up, I'm born into the world, and there are some very unique things about me. I show up with birthright. I'm born with gifts within me. We arrive in this world with birthright gifts. Then we spend the first half of our lives abandoning those gifts or letting others disabuse us of those unique gifts. As young people, we are surrounded by expectations that may have little to do with who we really are. Catch that line there. As young people, Palmer says, we are surrounded from day one. We are surrounded by the expectations of others that may have very little to do with who we really are. Expectations held by people who aren't really trying to discern who we are, our selfhood, but more trying to fit us in to slots within different communities and spaces. In families, schools, workplaces, even religious communities, we're trained away from true self towards images of acceptability. What is acceptable? And we're trained and developed to move into these spaces of what's acceptable. Under social pressures like racism and sexism, our original shape is deformed beyond recognition. And we ourselves, even we ourselves, driven by fear, too often betray true self to gain the approval of others. I think the words that he's sharing here resonate. We are disabused, he says, of the original giftedness in the first half of our lives. And then if we're awake, if we're aware, if we're able to admit that we've actually lost something, we spend the second half of our lives 
trying to recover and reclaim the gift of self we once possessed. So much of this idea of stopping, it's about receiving and spending time with God, but it's also reconnecting with who we are, with what God put in us in the very beginning that through the course of our days, we've lost. So the goal of this uh, teaching series, it's not to become more spiritual. The goal isn't to do these things so that we look more Christian than we did before. That is not at all the goal. The aim and really the values of us as a church They're not about looking like, these external things that make us look like good Christian people. Our hope in this series and in really everything that we do is actually to encourage one another towards these places of wholeness. What does it look like for you to be a whole person, to reconnect with the gift God has put inside of you, the beauty that he created, the love that he vested in you when he brought you into the world? What does it look like for us to rediscover that wholeness? And that really is our goal in this um, time through this series. Sometimes the messages of society and family and career and even religious communities, these different circles that we're mixed up in, we, what we hear often is that we're not enough, that we ourselves, who we are is not enough, that we need to do more, we need to be more, we need to look better, we need to conform, we need to contribute in some way to satisfy someone or something, to satisfy something that's often very elusive. And along the way, from the beginning, really, we lose a sense of who we are and a sense of our true self. So there is, uh, there's a story that we're going to look at in just a moment that's actually, it's a story of Jesus and a few of his friends. And uh, it's become, for me, in recent years, a really, I don't know, a more and more important story to me um, over time. And uh, it's not the kind of story that provides really easy or simple answers, uh, which I appreciate, actually. I like the stories that uh, we haven't figured out how to tie them up into a bow and just hand them to people, that it's actually something that we need to spend time with. And this is one of those kind of stories. In fact, Jesus seems to, when you get to the end of the story, kind of leave people hanging, leave his friends hanging a little bit. He kind of leaves it very open. Uh, He doesn't wrap the lesson up and hand it to everybody, and then we all walk away with a one-liner that's like our new doctrine or our new, you know, motto for life. Um, Thomas Merton is another wise uh, spiritual father. He refers to this story and this encounter that Jesus and his friends have as, uh, as an invitation to preference, which is very fascinating to think about that Jesus is inviting us into a preference to pursue, prefer one thing over another. Not a good thing over a bad thing, but just one uh, thing over another. And Merton really sees the story as an invitation from Jesus for us to make a preference, to, to decide on a preference. So I want to read uh, some words uh, Thomas Merton has about this story, and then I'll tell you the actual story in a moment. But just listen to uh, and look at Thomas Merton, uh, his words here. <coughs> Merton says, We are called to prefer the apparent uselessness, the apparent unproductiveness, the apparent inactivity of simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. We're called to prefer the apparent uselessness, the apparent unproductiveness, the apparent inactivity of simply sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him. He goes on and says, we are called to prefer this over an apparently more productive, more active, 
more busy life. We quietly affirm that there is something more important than getting things done. Now, I have read this um, statement, this in different books he's written, particularly the book that this came from, and uh, it gets quoted a lot. Uh, and every time, like I'm going through this message and thinking about what we're talking to today and reading through his words here, every single time I'm like, I'm caught off guard. Like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> like, I listen to what he's saying, and it's so counter to what I have been conditioned to think about who we are as humans and how we function in the world, that it puts me in this place of like, I feel a little bit off. And I think actually Jesus was doing the same thing in this encounter that he had with his friends. So let me tell you the actual story Thomas Merton is referring to here. It comes from Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. And I, I want us to try to get like into the story, not just hear it. Uh, I'm going to read a few things from the actual passage in Luke uh, towards the end here. But I want us to try to like visualize, sort of insert ourselves as if we were there and we were seeing what was happening. And so I'm going to try to tell it in a way that I hope kind of gets us in a little bit more than we might just... It's only a few verses, and if you're reading through Luke, you just can't, might just fly through it. So I want to try to slow down a little bit and get us into the story a little bit more. So imagine yourself, uh, if you live in New York City, if you've grown up in New York, New York City especially, you're, you don't have a clear sense of small town, uh, but think about movies or shows you've watched that take place in a small town. If you've been to a small town, kind of imagine yourself there. So put yourself kind of walking down a street in a small town somewhere. And uh, you're kind of walking down the street, passing houses and shops or whatever happens to be there. There's not a lot, but uh, the small little town, you're walking along the street. And along come Jesus and a group of a few of his friends walking the same way. And as they pass you, they just invite you to come along, like join them to walk along. And that was a very common thing. We see that in Jesus' life. As he was walking, he'd pass people and just invite them to, hey, come along with us. And, and so you kind of fall in with the group and, uh, and walk along the street. Now you're looking around at these people and you notice they, they appear to have been walking for a while because they're dusty and dirty and kind of they've, they've come from another place which is miles and miles away and they're, and they're a little bit, I don't know, travel-worn or whatever from the dusty, dirty roads. And as you walk together down the street, you, uh, you come upon a house, a small house here in this small town. And as you approach it, a couple of women run out of that house, run out and immediately begin to greet, very excited to see Jesus. They clearly know Jesus. They're friends of his and a unique kind of friendship that you see dis displayed in their interaction. And it appears that these two ladies are... Um, our sisters. And uh, the sisters invite Jesus and his friends. Everybody kind of come into their house. And so everybody kind of works their way in. And you just find yourself, imagine yourself in a corner somewhere of the room. And you're just kind of in a spot where you have a good view. You can kind of observe what develops uh, in this uh, particular place in this particular moment. So one of the sisters, her name is Martha. Um, and Martha, she brings Jesus in, she shows him to a cushion, helps him get comfortable, tries to make everybody comfortable there. And then she just begins kind of bouncing around and doing all sorts of stuff. And this conversation, people are laughing, they're just enjoying one another's company, they're listening to Jesus. All of this is happening in the room. And Martha is like in and out, in and out, in and out. At one point she runs out, she must go to a neighbor's or something, she comes back with more cushions and things to comfort everyone. Another time she runs out and maybe she goes to the market or a neighbor's or something and she comes back with a bunch of food stuff so that she can prepare 
uh, a meal. And so she's hustling around, and you look over, she's in the kitchen area, and she's back there bustling around creating a meal for everyone, whatever it is, food and drink that Jesus and his friends uh, might need while she's entertaining them, hosting them in her home. And then you notice something else interesting. So while Martha is running around doing all this stuff, Mary is actually sitting there in the room. Her sister is sitting there in the room, fully engaged in the conversation. She's enjoying the company of Jesus and the people that are in the room, and she's engaged in whatever's happening there. And you're kind of surprised by that for lots of different reasons. And eventually you realize, like, Martha's starting to notice, too, that Mary's sitting in there chilling while she's doing all this work, and Martha's getting steamed. Like, she, you can see it in her body language. Eventually, she storms into the room. She goes straight up to Jesus, and she has an exchange with Jesus. And Luke captures this conversation for us. So let me read what Luke writes about what happens is happening in this room. So Luke says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care, Martha says, that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me, Martha says. Martha, Martha, Jesus says, you're worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And that's the story. So there are so many different things. If you really begin to unpack this story, there's so many things that, encount, that, uh, that fascinate me about this encounter between Jesus and whoever was in the room and these two these two ladies. So Jesus ha- clearly has a very unique relationship with Martha and Mary. They have a brother named Lazarus, which we know different stories of Lazarus from Scripture. The three of them, Lazarus and Martha and Mary, are referred to in Scripture as Jesus' beloved. So he has a very unique relationship with these, uh, with these two ladies. So we notice that as we kind of dip into this story a little bit. Also, Martha's hospitality uh, she invites a group of people into her home to uh, entertain and, and um, welcome them and uh, feed them a meal. It's referenced in there that she prepares a meal for them. And so Martha's hospitality is, uh, you know, is a pretty cool thing that we see here. Mary's courage to sit with Jesus at a time when this sort of thing was absolutely denied to women at a time where women were not allowed to participate in conversation and in learning. They weren't allowed to be present in a room like this with a rabbi, with a teacher, with someone like Jesus. It just wasn't allowed. And that Jesus actually invites her, the language that he uses, he invites clearly Mary into this place of disciple, of learner, of friend, that she is fully welcomed in this place as a woman, despite the cultural abnormality of a woman sitting and being a learner under a teacher, a male teacher. And so this, what we see that, kind of glimpse that in this story and in the ongoing relationship that we see between Mary and Martha and Jesus and Lazarus. And then uh, Martha's courage, like, Okay, we, you know, whatever you think about Jesus kind of looking back, he was a deeply respected teacher at this time. For this lady to go up to him and kind of, don't you care? <laughs> like, that, the language that she uses here is very intense and confrontational. Don't you care? Tell her. It's a, this is a, written as a command. Jesus, tell her. 
this is what you need to do, Jesus. Tell her to get up and help me. So her courage, and then Jesus' like incredibly gracious response. His response was, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many different, just relax, it's okay, just relax. Jesus' very gracious response to this, um, to this friend. So all of these different things we notice, and they're really important for us as we get a picture of what's going on. But at the same time, I think it's very easy for us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus doesn't actually tell us what the most important thing is. He's like, though, there's, there's lots of things that are important, maybe even actually just one, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> that is intriguing to me, that Jesus kind of leaves it hanging out there for us to be like, ooh, there's one, what's the movie, or like, there's the one thing, you know? Like, there's one thing, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You can think about that for the rest of your life. Enjoy that, ponder that question. There is one thing that's most important. Don't miss it. You better not miss the one most important thing. So he just kind of leaves it hanging out there for us to wonder, what is he talking about? Now, clearly there's something very significant going on. He said there is something that is better, that apparently Mary has, Mary has discovered what that better thing is. She's chosen it, and he's not going to take that thing away from her, but he doesn't tell us what it is. But we do see in the story this sort of contrast uh, between Martha's activity, what she's doing, and the way she's kind of rolling around um, in, in this scene, and Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. So there's sort of contrast between these two ways of being present or not present, really, in the room. But we don't, we don't actually know what Jesus was doing, what he was saying. What, what was Mary listening to? What was she hearing? What was she participating in in that room? We don't know what it is. And I think it, it strikes me as like, if it was so important for Mary to engage in whatever it was that was happening, well, shouldn't Luke have told us what that is? Like, shouldn't Luke have said, here's what the conversation was. This is why it's better to choose to be involved in this conversation than to get up and serve and do whatever the things that Martha was doing. So it's, you know, this sort of interesting place. But we see this contrast between uh, Martha and the way she's functioning and Mary and the way she's functioning. And I think if you were in the room, really in the room, if you were among the folks that were there, that were participating in the scene, I suspect that they realized, and Luke in recounting this and telling the story to us, realized that the content of Jesus, whatever it was he was talking about in the moment that Mary was listening to and a part of, was less important than some profound truth that was being displayed by the activity and the movement and the way people were functioning in the room. That in fact, that scene was more important the particular, than the particulars of Jesus' words. That the choices that Martha and Mary were, were making were the significant thing of that moment. That Martha is active. She's doing good stuff, important stuff, hosting and feeding Jesus, being generous, being hospitable, really important things that Martha was doing. Mary sitting with Jesus, listening to him. All of it, good stuff. All the things that were happening there were good. And Jesus doesn't in any way say that what Martha was doing was bad. He never says Martha's choice is the bad choice and Mary's choice is the good choice. And that's the way we tend to think about spirituality and Christian things. Like, what's the good choice and what's the bad one? And I always want to choose the good one. Um, I might get in trouble if I don't choose the good one. But that's not the way Jesus presents it here, that there is maybe good and better in a moment, in a particular situation. And that something is happening in the way that Martha and Mary are functioning that we need to notice because the truth is 
it's true and happens and plays out in our life all the time. In fact, the two, the Mar Mary and Martha, are present in me at any given moment. This sort of struggle between being active and doing all this stuff and being still and choosing some sort of stillness and place where I'm really just going to be present right now with Jesus and what he's up to um, in the room. So I can relate to Martha. I think we all can. Being busy and distracted, worried and upset is the language that's used there. Even while we're doing good things, even while we're doing important things, even while we're doing necessary things. So listen to Merton's words again. We are called to prefer the apparent uselessness, unproductiveness, inactivity of simply sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. We're called to prefer this, in fact, over an apparently more productive, more active, more busy life. We quietly affirm that there is something more important than getting things done. So it's a short and very simple story, really, and yet deeply challenging. I think thought-provoking, it's stirring something inside of us, which is what Jesus was often doing, putting something out there for us to confront and then begin to internalize and wrestle with it. What do I do with this truth? What do I do with these words that Jesus is sharing, this idea that he is partly answering, but really just presenting to me to mull over and to process. And I wonder who in our lives has ever encouraged us towards inactivity? You know, who is saying that there is something better than activity, that there is something more important than productivity? Who in our lives says that kind of stuff to us? Who is encouraging us in our lives, giving us the courage to, on a regular basis, step away from activity and the expectations that are swirling around us, to step away from that stuff, to actually prefer sitting still over a more productive, more active, more uh, busy lifestyle? So Jesus uh, really embodied an entirely different way of, uh, of living. A different, he assessed value in a very different way than we do, certainly than our society and culture um, does. And then out of that different perspective, different way of perceiving value, he lived a, a very unique and distinct life. His life wasn't defined by accomplishment. If you look through the encounters and the way he functioned on a day-to-day -day basis, he wasn't oriented around, what am I accomplishing? How do I get this done? Because there were probably more direct routes that he could have accomplished whatever goals he had for himself, but much more oriented around the way in which he was living, a life of love, of mercy, of compassion, a deep commitment to connect regularly with God and regularly and deeply and consistently with humanity, with others, with his friends, these interactions, these times in a, in a house where they're sitting around and they're just enjoying one another's company, deep commitment to relationship with God and with his brothers and sisters. And out of all of that, this sort of way of living, this way of being in the world emerges. He acted out of that place and did an incredible amount of things. He accomplished a lot, but wasn't oriented simply around what he was accomplishing, healing and reconciling people. He modeled, I think, this idea of start by stopping. 
I really do think we see this consistently in his life, that he routinely stepped away from, even rejected activity, opportunities to do, go do good. He would step away and slip off into the woods or hide somewhere because he knew he needed to keep himself centered on who he was, on his Father in heaven and on his friends, his brothers and sisters who he was called to love and care for and encourage. And he would step, we see him stepping away from activity and busyness to reflect and rejuvenate and reconnect with friends and with God, to keep himself rooted in a sense of self and true uh, identity. So this series, really our goal through this series is to do that same sort of thing, to give us uh, some ways in which we can um, like integrate, implement things that help us stop into our normal routines in our lives. And not this, not to start the year or start any particular moment, oriented around great goals and objectives and desired outcomes and all the language that we use um, in our sort of productive lives, but to start by stopping, to engage spiritual practices that have been given really to us by God as a method, as a way to help us do this thing of stopping, to step away from the normal activity of life, to recenter ourselves on really the beautiful gifts that God has put inside of us and the way he wants us to experience and encounter those things and then live those things out um, in our life. And so uh, we're going to practice a lot of different things through um, the course of the next three weeks, different practices. And in particular, we're going to try to have regular time while we're together um, to be quiet, to be still, and to do some reflection. And so I have a reflection activity I mentioned before. We're going to do make a couple lists. So if you like lists, you're going to love this. If you don't like lists, you're going to try. You're going to do your best. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to hand out some papers. Everybody needs a paper and uh, a pen, and we're going to spend some time reflecting a little bit and spending a little bit of time in the quiet. All right, everybody got a, everybody got a paper? Anybody need one? Pens? Raise your hand if you need a pen still. Good. All right. I'm not going to let you off the hook by not having... Oh, I didn't get a piece of paper. I couldn't, couldn't do it. All right. So here's, what, um, here's what's going on with this list. So as I mentioned, while I was driving and I was trying to come up with my... What do I want to stop this year? My, that list. I kept just having issues. And so for me, it was easier to think about things I don't want to stop. What is it in my life that um, is so important that I don't want to stop it? So I don't, I, I love my wife. I don't want to stop being married. I don't want to stop um, spending time with my children. I, uh, I don't want to stop skiing. So I got to stay fit, whatever, you know, so there's things that I don't want to stop doing. Uh, and I kind of made a list of those things, board games, and I love food and whatever, you know, so these list of things that are really important to me. So the idea here is try to come up with a list of things you don't want to stop, things that are really important to you, and uh, and list of things you do want to stop. Now, maybe there's some pressing things that you're like, I got to figure out how to stop. In fact, I set a resolution and I've already failed, so I got to re-up on my resolution to stop this. So, uh, so a list of things that you might want to stop. I want to stop going to bed so late because that negatively affects everything in my life. So things like that, things that I want to stop. Uh, if you have a terrible job, it's okay to say, I want to stop my job. I don't want to do this anymore. Put it on the list. Who knows what's going to come, what you're going to hear from God in the coming weeks. So I'm going to give you three or four minutes. Make a list of don't stop and stop. Uh, no pressure. Nobody's grading you on this, but you are going to hold this with you over the next couple of weeks to um, reflect on. So, all right, 
quiet time, stillness. All right. So, uh, so here's what I want to um, encourage you to do um, with this list. Um, the goal isn't to run out of here and, you know, drastically change a bunch of things in your life. Remember that um, our focus is on stopping, not, um, not making ourselves more busy. Um, but I do want to encourage you to take your list with you and uh, keep, it, keep it close. Stick it in your pocket or your purse or whatever, your, uh, your bag. Um, but keep it with you. And uh, spend some time. Maybe you're on the train, you pull it out and reflect on it. Uh, or you're sitting alone at home. Or, or another thing that you can do, and I would encourage you to do this, because the journey, um, even the journey of slowing down and stopping is a shared journey. We need encouragement. We need support from the people around us. Get coffee with somebody and say, hey, what did you love about your life that you don't want to stop? Uh, was there anything that surprised you that showed up on your stop list that you hadn't thought of before? Uh, and just share. Share um, some of the things that you're running into and what you're hearing maybe um, from within you and the parts of yourself that are craving to be lived uh, and uh, maybe the whispers that you're hearing from God along the way. Uh, to reflect on those things. Give your time, yourself time to be still and to hear and to work um, on not accomplishing, but on listening, on hearing, on being present, uh, and then sharing that with the people you love, the people in your life um, that encourage you, that help you um, see yourself truly and be the kind of person that you, um, you want to be. So next week, Alberto is going to be up here. Band, you guys can come on up. Um, next uh, week, Alberto is going to be uh, up here, and uh, he's going to be talking about fasting. I think that's what we're working on next week which um, I'm excited about. Alberto always has a great way of kind of redirecting in our thinking about topics, and uh, so I'm excited to see what, um, what, where he leads us with fasting, this idea of taking a break, stepping away from certain, um, typically it's foods, but there's lots of different ways to fast. Uh, and so uh, he's going to be talking about fasting. After that, I think Wendy will be teaching on silence and stillness. So our world is full, our daily lives are full of so much noise and clutter and activity. And what does it look like for, look like for us to be still, to actually uh, prioritize silence in our lives, which is sometimes really hard to get in um, shared apartments and city living. Uh, and then uh, three weeks, I'll be back up here talking about Sabbath. So what does it look like to receive this gift of Sabbath that God's given to us to stop, to delight, to rest, to contemplate? Uh, and so we're going to talk about that in three weeks. So lots of really, I think, uh, going to be cool things for us to wrestle with, some different perspectives and different voices than maybe we hear in our normal everyday lives. And again, to encourage us to start this year by stopping, by slowing down, by being present uh, with ourselves and uh, with God and with others. So uh, each week when we're together, we take a moment to be uh, slow and reflect, and that's really this idea of gathering around a table. Jesus, one meal that he was with his friends, he asked them to remember him because he was going to be dying and then rising and leaving. Um, and he wanted them to remember what he had accomplished through the course of his life and what he had taught, the way he had loved them. And so he asked them to, when they gathered together, that they would do this sort of symbolic thing, take some bread and some juice to remember him, just to remember Jesus' life, his love, his way, the way in which he lived and what he accomplished on our behalf. 
what he made possible for us. And so when we're together, we do that. We just honor what Jesus asked us to do. We take some bread, we take some juice, and we remember him and what he, uh, the way he lived and what he did. And so I encourage you during this song, you can go back to the table, take some, uh, some of the cracker and dip it in the juice, and just take a moment to remember Jesus, his love for us, and uh, the way he lived and um, cared and loved and served the people around him. So let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing a song together. <laughs>